This week's episode of the Stretch 4 Fantasy Basketball Podcast is sponsored by Smile Brilliant. So, man, I just got a quote from my dentist, and it was like $300 to correct my teeth grinding. And I'm like, man, I don't know if I can pay that. What did you do? So I was having some issues with stress and anxiety as well, and I found out about a company called Smile Brilliant. Smile Brilliant is a company that has a lab direct process that you can get the same custom fitted night guards for as little as $45 per guard. So big money saver right there. Additionally, they've got custom fitted teeth whitening trays and the Kari Pro electric toothbrush. So they've got lots of ways that you can, you know, work with your smile and get, get a whiter teeth at the same time. Appreciate that, man. I'll definitely check it out. And you should too. Head over to www.smilebrilliant.com and use code STRETCH4, that's STRETCH F-O-U-R, at checkout for 30% off. Once again, that's smilebrilliant.com and use code STRETCH4 at checkout. The Stretch 4 NBA Podcast with your hosts, Dan Titus and NBA fantasy experts, Alex Burns, Zach Hanshu, and Adam Koffler. What up, what up? NBA fans, Dan Titus here with the Stretch 4 Fantasy Podcast. We're bringing you the Fantasy Awards today. We're really excited. We're, we're nearing the end of the season. The play-in tournament is fast approaching. A lot of implications pay off for uh, seedings that are going to end up being finalized by the end of today. But uh, before we get into the superlatives, I want to talk about a couple of things. First off, what's up, fellas? Hoffler, Hanshu, Burns. How you doing on this Sunday afternoon? How's it treating you? Back went to Hershey Park. How was that? It was great. The sweetest place on earth, dude. They call it that for a reason. It was wonderful. Oh, it is the sweetest. Yeah, I guess that, that that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I haven't been there since I was a kid, but uh, shout out to uh, Hershey, Pennsylvania. Anyway, Bernsey, what's good with you, man? How you feeling? Feeling good. Feeling good. My, my team, the Miami Heat, we avoided the playing tournament so we get a nice little rest period next week so i'm pretty happy about that so i'm good sir and coffler are you even in basketball mode anymore you've been tweeting a lot of football things lately all right have you have you turned that page <laughs> yeah man i'm uh i'm in between both sports but uh when when the playoffs get started it's it's all basketball all the time so uh, we're recording this right in the middle of the uh, Grizzlies Warriors contest. That's going to decide a lot for, uh, you know, if, if I think it's if the if the Grizzlies win, then the Lakers have to face Steph or I, I forget uh, in the first round. No, if the Warriors win. Yeah, if the Warriors win, then LeBron has to face Steph in the first round of the playing game. And I could imagine that LeBron does not want to see Steph in the Warriors in the first round of the play in. Not only that, but uh, there's also that little scoring championship matchup going on between Steph Curry and Bradley Beal, right? So Beal finished, he only scored 25 points. So I think that means Steph Curry is now your 2021 scoring champ, I believe. Second of his career. Lock it in. Um, but yeah, interesting. Like, I mean, we haven't gotten to the the uh, the Portland Trailblazers and Nuggets game, but that game's going to matter. The Nuggets are probably going to tank that game so that they don't have to face the Lakers, which makes sense. So, yeah, well, let's get into the action, man. Let's start off with uh, just some notable stuff that happened. I'm sure you guys probably checked it out, but Kevin Garnett is now in the Hall of Fame along with Tim Duncan and obviously Kobe Bryant. It was a great ceremony. Uh, we also found some new players that are getting in here. Ben Wallace going to the Hall of Fame next season, along with Paul Pierce. And who was the other notable name? Chris Bosh. That's right. Chris Bosh. So, no, I have no, I mean, those are all logical people to get in for yeah. me. Uh, no, no beef with it. All great, great classes. So, just excited to see those guys that, I mean, I grew up with. These are the guys I was collecting their rookie cards when I was a kid and seeing them march in and get their, get their claim to fame is awesome. Yeah, I will say yeah, it's funny. It's funny. Uh, ben Wallace getting in the Hall of Fame totally deserves it. But uh, I remember earlier this season, I was tweeting about how good at a defender that Ben Simmons was. And some guy came on and was like, oh, he's trash. He's just Ben Wallace with a jump shot or Ben Wallace with an offensive game. And I'm like, well, I mean, you're, you're literally saying he's a Hall of Fame player. So I don't understand how that is any shot at Ben Simmons at all to compare him to Ben Wallace. So congrats yeah, to all those guys. That, that- 
that didn't age well. That didn't age all. well. Ben Wallace had a season where he averaged 3.5 blocks and 1.7 steals per game. If it wasn't talking, for his free, talking, if it wasn't for his free throw percentage, he would. He, I mean, he was always a decent fantasy player, right? Um, but we're talking. We're talking Miles Turner on stair. You thought Miles Turner and Clint Capella were good this season? Ben Wallace was even better than that back in the day. All right, so let's get into some fantasy award stuff. Let's kick it off with the best award here. I mean, let's start off with the MVP. I'll I'll kick it off with uh, Zach. I want to hear who your favorite for MVP was, and did you actually roster this player, or is this just your, you know, in totality of what you observed over the course of the season of being an expert who you thought was the most valuable player? Yeah, man. So unfortunately I didn't get to roster him on any of my teams this year. You know, we talked offline about this, about the MVP award for me, after looking through the numbers where the, the player was drafted, you know, preseason ranking and, and what they finished with uh, it's Nikola Vucevic for me. Uh, he finished in third in uh, total point or total production, excuse me, for nine cat leagues. Um, you know, he was drafted uh, preseason rank was 29. I mean, that's just a huge step up in production uh, for a guy that you would have been able to draft in the third round. Uh, uh, I mean, he was just so good this season to be it for me uh, ahead of guys like uh, Nikola Jokic, who, you know, was probably the regular season MVP for the NBA. But for fantasy production, you know, you drafted him in the first round, top seven or eight is where you would have gotten him. So for him to finish number one is not a huge leap, but from 29 to three, that's my pick. So Zach is the only one here that did not select Nikola Jokic as the fantasy MVP. And I know, um, Adam, you also had a couple, you had a couple names. I know that you've been throwing out throughout the course of the year, but what is your argument for Jokic versus someone like Vooch, who I know you were also uh, very high on? Yeah, I think, I think actually Jokic took a pretty unprecedented jump from what most people expected. The guy was averaging 19.9 points per game in 2019, 20. I mean, it was the, the year of the bubble. So it was a little bit different, but the leap he took up to 26 and a half points per game this season. And not only that, he increases field goal percentage from 52.8 to 56.7. Uh, he also increases uh, free throw percentage all the way up to 86.7% uh, from the line. And his assists went from seven to 8.4. So in totality, this guy had a, had a jump that I don't think anybody was expecting him to have. So Zach, like you said, he was going like, you know, seven, eight, probably late first round in most leagues. I've seen a couple of leagues where Devin Booker went ahead and Nicole Jokic. Um, so I mean, this is an easy one for me. It's got to be, it's got to be Jokic for the fact that he was a, a late first round pick. And I know in my most important league, the guy who won the league was a, uh, was a Nicole Jokic manager. So he's my MVP. I, I definitely see the argument for Jokic, especially because of the assists. Like you mentioned, man, uh, six in total assists this year, uh, 8.4 point per game. And that well outpaced any center. So those kind of non-traditional stats for a big man. I mean, that definitely gave you a huge, huge advantage. Um, so I definitely see the argument there, man. Yeah. And I had Jokic as my number sixth overall in my uh, expert consensus rankings for fantasy pros this year, which beat out the Yahoo rankings by one. But I mean, I didn't have him. I figured his upside was probably top three, but to see him take the leap that he did in every statistical category, pretty much. And watching the the Denver Nuggets be one of the better teams all, all the while their team is stacked with fantasy value, you know, for him to be able to maintain that throughout the whole season and be the real life MVP dude was a superstar. And it's not a hard bet for me. I could definitely put in an, an honorable mention for Julius Randall for Nikola Vucevic, um, who was another person that I was very high on. I drafted him in second overall in my fantasy pros league. And I was very, I knew he was, he's like, he's the staple of consistency. And uh, for even to be traded midseason to still have that value uh, is also speaks volumes to how good of a player he is. And I know Alex, you got one more player that obviously deserves some kind of discussion um, or part of this discussion of MVP. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with all of your, your picks there. It's really hard to disagree with anything you said. Uh, Vucevic definitely because where his ADP was, you know, Jokic was like a top six ranked player consensus. Vucevic was second round, late second round consensus heading into draft season. So the fact that he finished third in nine cat production is, is crazy. And, you know, obviously Steph Curry too. I, mean, I think he had like seven 40 point games, three 50 point games, a couple 60 point games. This dude was, was winning people weeks. 
just classic Steph. He should be in the, in the real life MVP conversation for what he's done in Golden State, but you got to throw him in the fantasy MVP race as well. Absolutely. Yeah, no, no disagreement there. I think this is this is probably the easiest conversation we're going to have. Yeah. Right? There's really no disagreements here. But let's get into the most improved fantasy player. Um, I'll start with Adam on this one. Who is your most improved? I think this is another one of those slam dunk ones. Like it's just kind of obvious, but we'll we'll get we'll get into it. Who's your thought? Yeah, you mentioned him in the in the in a possible fantasy MVP conversation. So I think it's only fair to mention Julius Randle as one of the the most, if not the most. Uh, improved fantasy player this season. Uh, he led the league in minutes per game at 37.3 per game under Tom Thibodeau. I know I personally drafted him at 83 overall this season, uh, one pick ahead of Brandon Clark, uh, who was a part of a 12-man Grizzlies rotation, whereas Julius Randle was the guy in New York. The jump from 3.1 to 5.9 assists per game uh, from a power forward is absolutely incredible. Um I think it's it's there's a lot of other guys out there that have improved. I think it's really, really challenging to make an argument against Julius Randle when you're talking full, about the most improved fantasy player this season. Full disclosure, I was the moron, idiot, clown, whatever you want to call it, that drafted Brandon Clark ahead of Julius Randle. <laughs> and let me tell you something. On the turn uh, there, I took Rashawn Holmes with the 87th pick. So Rashawn Holmes might be a top five contender for most improved fantasy player this season as well. And what you'll see here is you'll see a bunch of guys that we talk about that have high field goal percentage, don't turn the ball over, and get you some blocks and steals. These are prime categories uh, when you're talking about people that have improved and people that affect uh, the nine category uh, fantasy leagues the most. Julius Randle, obviously, that, that was my first pick. It should be everybody's first pick. We made a big deal when Zach predicted Kevin Porter Jr. was going to be a league winner down the stretch, a must-add player, and we gave him all the clout. I got to give Adam clout for this. I remember before the season coming in, Zion Williamson, I think his ADP was around 20 heading into draft season, and Julius Randles was in the 60s. And I remember we did an article saying, what are our hot takes for the fantasy basketball season? Adam said, Julius Randle is going to finish better than Zion Williamson in category leagues, I think it was, but just as a fantasy asset. Julius Randle's number six and uh, Zion Williamson is number, I believe it was 16. So that was a really good hot take. I actually thought, I didn't believe that when I read it and uh, every, and I actually drafted Julius Randle in multiple leagues. So every time he would take off or post a triple double or something, I was like, man, Adam, man, calling all was, that out. and it was a mixture of a couple of things. I mean, it's a mixture of Tom Thibodeau, you know, historically giving, you know, his studs all the minutes in the world mixed with Zion Williamson never shooting a three-pointer. And, and you, you can't have the same kind of fantasy value if you're not shooting threes and you are not and you have kind of a low f- uh, free throw percentage. Now, to Zion's credit, he picked it up this season and upped the assist numbers and upped the free throw percentage numbers. Uh, so, so he ended up uh, pre- being pretty good. But, yeah, Zion was, was drafted 22 overall compared to Randall at 83 overall. So, you know, incredible. And Randall just got good too. I mean, even just yeah, this dude. afternoon, I was watching him play. His jump shot. I mean, he knows how to get to his spots now. I don't. I don't want to say that's a Thibodeau thing because he's more defensive minded. But Randall just got really good too. So. Thibodeau, Thibodeau unlocked him is yeah. what it was. Yeah, unleashed. Yeah, unleashed. Unlocked the potential. Um, there you go. So I'm gonna go with a unheralded player. The Suns really improved drastically this season. I think most of it can be due or attributed to Chris Paul. But this guy maintained his value from last season, finished as the number uh, 84th ranked player in head-to-head formats last year, moved all the way up to 11 in totals this year and 37 in average, and that is Macau Bridges. He shot, he was just spectacular. He shot 54% from the field, 84% from the free throw line with 42% splits from three, and he averaged 1.1 steals, almost a block. He was just the consistent as one of the most consistent forwards you could have without turning over the ball much and he was out there for most of the season so one of the things that can't go understated is when you actually have your players available for you over the course of the season especially during a COVID season he played 71 games so this dude was super consistent played very well he was my I was very surprised to see the jump that he took from finishing 84 last season to you know, top 30 player this season. Let's move on to the comeback player, bounce back player of the year. Don't call it a comeback. 
This one's not as not as chalky here, but uh, let's let's go, Zach. What's your what are your thoughts? This one's a pretty obvious one, but you know, it's I think it's worthy of being stated. Yeah, man. Um, and I, I searched for guys that weren't necessarily uh the easy picks here, but it, I just couldn't not go with Steph Curry, right? So I mean, Steph Curry and Kevin Durant are obvious choices, uh, and some other guys that we'll mention here are really good picks too. But for me, it's definitely Curry, uh, you know, after barely playing at all last season. This season, I mean, just ridiculous. His points, rebounds, and his three-pointers made, which I didn't realize until doing some research today, his three-pointers, 5.3 per game this season, you know, before the 330 game, uh, that's a career high for him. So these are these are all career highs for him. Uh, so if that's not a bounce back, I don't know what is, uh, you know, close to a 50, 40, 90. Uh, he's done that once before he was close to it again. Um, and he became the eight, this season, eighth player in NBA history with multiple seasons of at least 30 points, five rebounds and five assists. Uh, he, he joins Kobe, Wilt, Harden, LeBron, MJ, Oscar and Jerry West. So that's some uh, really awesome company. Uh, this was just an incredible season for him. For sure, man. He was uh, he was a beast. No denying it, man. I mean, the Steph effect. I mean, obviously, I think it was a pretty easy award for him to win just based on the fact he didn't play much last season. So I'm curious when we get to the fantasy duds, how much the injury component's going to play into someone being a dud. Because obviously, you could you could throw out TJ Warren because dude barely played at all. But yeah, no disagreement there. I think that that's easily a, a, a comeback player of the year candidate that ultimately could end up being an MVP or certainly was in consideration for it. My guy is Clint Capella. I didn't have much faith in this dude beginning in the season. He got traded midway through last season. He sat on the bench with an Achilles injury, but he finally made it on the court. And I had him ranked as, as low as 55. Yahoo had him at 60. This dude outperformed. Uh, definitely exceeded expectations, hit 27 in average and 23 in total, averaging 15.2 points and 14.3 rebounds, leading the NBA in that category. And considering how loaded that that Hawks front court is when they picked up Danilo Gallinari, there were some trade rumors with John Collins throughout the season, but he, he ended up lasting out. I think Clint Capella had an amazing season, and I think he's going to be one of the best bigs going forward for fantasy next season. He won you weeks strictly off of his either his rebound volume of getting several 20 point or 20 rebound games, as well as his defensive metrics. So he's only going to improve. He's always amongst the league leaders in field goal percentage also. So I think he's a guy that you'll want to target pretty early on if you're trying to stack big men next season. Yeah, I was I was shocked uh, at how good he was um, and and obviously his rebounding prowess and the ability to block shots and get steals is just completely underrated. Remember people said... Oh, James Harden made him uh, just a noteworthy player, and not saying that Trey Young's a scrub or anything. And Trey Young certainly adds to it, but Clint Capella really proved himself this year after being kind of MIA the last couple of years. So you're gonna talk about pandemic P? Is that over with Koffler? Dude, Paul George. Paul George is a guy I was actively, actively fading going into the 2020-21 season. Um, I know he was scooped up and usually the mid to back end of the second round, then I was just not wanting any part of that. But the uh, the guy increased his field goal percentage. He saw uh, 34 minutes per game this season as opposed to just 29 minutes per game last season in his first year in L.A. Um, I didn't see that coming. I, I thought that Paul George was going to continue to see minutes under 30 per game. And, and while he was hurt a little bit this season and missed some games due to rest, uh, he he bounced back uh, in a pretty good way, uh, you know, alongside Kawhi there in L.A. Uh, the assist numbers went from 3.9 to 5.2, likely because he was given a little bit more control of the offense and also because we saw a stretch of about two weeks where Kawhi was out. And Paul George just went absolutely bonkers and probably won you a couple weeks there. So, yeah, I think, I think he makes a good argument for bounce back player of the year. I wish he would have played more games, but. Uh, he looked better than I thought he was going to uh, when he went to LA. So, I mean, do you think he's going to be able to get rid of the playoff P or pandemic P nickname? I mean, what does he have to do in the playoffs to actually redeem himself? I mean, cause you're right, dude, he was a huge bust last year after how he did in the playoffs. Uh, and after they got bounced in the bubble, I mean, what do you think he has to do in the playoffs? I know we're talking regular season here, but I think it's worth mentioning. Yeah, I, th I think I think the I think he actually gained a ton of confidence when Kawhi was out and he became the guy. I and mean, he was putting up like 
you know, 35 points, I don't know, eight rebounds and eight assists for like two straight weeks. And his usage was just sky high. I mean, he was a DFS darling for those, for that stretch of time. So I think, I think he's got confidence now. Um, and I think the Clippers are in really good shape and they've got a really deep bench. I, I, I like their chances of, of getting to the Western conference finals this season. This is Paul George. He, what did he finish third in MVP voting three or four years ago? I mean, this is something that when I was watching the NBA opening night this season when they were playing the Lakers and he ended up going for like 33 and 10 or something, it was just something everybody was ripping on him because the last time we had seen him play was in the bubble when he was pandemic P it's Paul George, dude, Paul George's awesome. I had a lot of shares of him this year. I didn't mind drafting him at his back end of the second round ADP. So, but, I, but I agree with that. He really did kind of erase the whole pandemic P nickname, I guess. My, my major issue with Paul George was that, in OKC for the two years before he went to LA, he shot like 43% from the field, but that was because he was a high usage player. And when he got to LA his first season, he also shot 43% from the field and was not a high usage player. So I was like, okay, is this going to be a thing going forward where his field goal percentage is just going to tank you during certain weeks? And that wasn't the case. He became a higher usage player and his field goal percentage went back up to where it used to be. Yeah. So for that, I mean, that's 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 a, a big part of the reason why I think he's a comeback, bounce back player. Yeah, and he's yeah, an he, interesting fit with Kawhi too, because they're they. I'm not saying they both have the same play styles at all, but they kind of do if you think about it. They're right, both right. excellent defenders who also love to have the ball in their hands and facilitate. So it's an interesting fit. It'll be interesting to see how they play their second year in the playoffs. This is only the third time in his career that he's eclipsed 30 percent usage rate in a season. So clearly, uh, Ty Lue knew how to unleash another person and give him this guy some more time on the court. Uh, I'd say the one knock to Paul George is, is definitely the availability. He only played 54 out of 72 games this season, which definitely affected his ranking in terms of uh, overall season value. Didn't really actually exceed his, his preseason ranking. He's currently sitting at 43 in season total and 26 in average. But if we're talking about the course of the season, this guy was delivering um, night in and night out and was 50 40 90 for a lot of the season as well you just mentioned availability there so I feel like we'd be remiss not to talk about a guy who everyone thought was going to be resting the entire season but basically took no nights off in Russell Westbrook but we'll get to him on one of the one of the future awards here so let's go to the best waiver ad I'll start with this one and this is kind of a mixture for me. My best waiver wire, I picked up DeLon Wright when he was on Detroit because I thought that he was going to get a lot of minutes. When Killian Hayes went down, he was actually very valuable on, on a different ports, portions of the season. But then he got shipped out to the Kings and he was seemingly irrelevant just in, in the nick of time. But then this guy came through last minute in the fantasy playoffs, dropping crazy numbers we've talked about over the last three, three, or, three or so episodes. And just a phenomenal waiver wire ad gave you value across across contribute contributed across categories offensively and defensively with with really strong solid metrics but then the other guy I added I was fortunate and I know Adam's going to talk about another person he lucked up in scooping due to injuries um, but I was able to scoop up LaMelo Ball to a frustrated owner I guess frustrated manager it was he was deemed probably out for the season in a lot of cases so you know, if you didn't, if you were jury riddled and didn't have any space on your IL for certain players that you needed now, you probably dropped them. And so I was able to scoop him up and, and get a victory in one of my fantasy leagues by getting him. So I think DeLon Wright and LaMelo Ball provided me the most value over the course of the season in terms of actually getting a victory and, and sustaining value throughout the season off of very low effort of just hitting the waiver wires. It's funny. I think we talked about DeLon Wright as a uh, best waiver ad during the midseason awards as well. So you can to really use him and that was with the pistons you could use a make a case for him best waiver ad with the pistons and with the king which is i, I imagine highly unusual in uh, in fantasy yeah. basketball in one season um but maybe maybe a guy like jared allen uh, fits that bill a little bit too um just the way he played with the nets and then with the Cavs there uh at the end of the season but my guy for best waiver ad this season has got to be jay sean tate completely off of everyone's radar heading into the season undrafted out of ohio state so he was also off of the NBA's radar as a whole. Guy comes in as a rookie, averages 11.5 points, 5.5 rebounds, 2.5 steals, 1.7 steals plus blocks, and just 1.4 turnovers per game. 
This guy played 30 minutes per game in his rookie season with the Rockets. Obviously, the Rockets are a pretty terrible team, but Jay Sean Tate took full advantage of the opportunity that he came up very early in the season after a couple of nice performances. And uh, he, I, I rode him all the way to the championship. So he's he's got to be uh, in the conversation for best waiver ad this season. And and like Burns, like you said, man, all the Rockets are pretty much in contention for that uh, award. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. I mean, all... All the Rockets, KJ Martin, Jay Sean Tate. I, I had Jay Sean Tate for most of the season once Harden was traded, but you could Kelly Olenek. I'm sure we're going to talk about him. Uh, even guys like Mo Bamba, Ken Birch, people that you scooped up because they had big roles when teams were kind of going through COVID or they were injury riddled and, and these guys got major minutes. So uh, definitely, definitely agree with all of those. All right, let's take it to, these are all been very positive. Let's go to the biggest dud. Alex, you want to start us off with the duds? Let's do it. Oh, I love this. Uh, I got two of them. I got DeAndre Ayton and Ben Simmons. Now, I know I'm talking to two Philadelphia 76ers guys right here, so I won't talk about Ben Simmons, but I'll talk about DeAndre Ayton. Ayton was somebody that I had a ton of shares of. I thought Chris Paul coming to Phoenix, yeah, the slower pace would affect his offensive game, but I was like, pick and pop. It's going to be unstoppable. DeAndre Ayton was coming off a really nice season, you know, without getting suspended for PEDs, but he was a top 30 asset heading into draft season. He was uh, like a top six center. I remember I scooped him in the second, early third rounds. He finished 12th at center. And I mean, he honestly was the most inconsistent hot and cold player that I had on my fantasy team. I remember there was a certain stretch of the season where his minutes completely dipped. I think he was getting like 20, 21, 22 minutes a game. And then it, you know, it resurfaced back up to around 30 minutes a game, but just somebody that frustrated me because a lot of games, he had a couple blow up games where it was like, oh, 26 points, 15 rebounds. But most of his games were like 10 points, nine rebounds, eight points, you know, six rebounds, something like that. So just a player drafted him high and he really frustrated me just because of his performance. You sound very salty about DeAndre. So Aiden. salty. You, you could easily put him in your most frustrating player here. This is not only a dud, this is frustration pouring over into, into being a bust. Well, I got but frustrating players yeah. too. Copper, you mentioned, you got? I mean, I, I was going to say somebody else, but when you mentioned Ben Simmons, you got, you got the wheel spinning, man, because he's in his fourth year in the league. Everybody in the offseason is talking about how he's shooting threes. He ended up making 0.2 three-pointers per game this season. His points per game were, were down. His assists per game were down from 8 to 6.9. So he, he regressed in pretty much every category. Um, so, you know, for the, for the expectations that surrounded Ben Simmons this season, he was a pretty big dud. I mean, it's, it's hard, it's hard not to go against like an Anthony Davis who like didn't see the floor and like left every game, but Ben Simmons agree. He, he, he really was a, I'm a six, I'm a huge Sixers fan. And, and I think Ben Simmons is fantastic for the squad and he's one of the best defensive players in the game, but from a fantasy perspective, uh, like he's yeah. pretty big fantasy dud this for- season. Yeah, fancy perspective. It's, it's you can't deny the fact that he was definitely, definitely not as good as advertised. And even in real life basketball, I feel like he was. He's just been kind of an enigma in and out. First team, uh, the All Star label that he 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 received. I, I mean, mean, especially the second half of the season, it was it was pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, to to Adam's point, he regressed in almost every single category stat wise. I mean, he was a top twenty consensus player in draft season. He finished forty three. So. While I do think he's an elite defender and a great player to have on your team, like I, one of the, I, th- I think top three defender in the NBA could win a perennial defensive player of the year award. That doesn't help in fantasy. So. And Matisse Tybel is number two and Joel Embiid's number one. So the Sixers have three of the best defenders in the NBA. I hate it. <laughs> just make sure that, make sure we're clear on that. They just can't, they just can't score and turn over the ball a lot. We'll get to that later. That's a whole nother discussion. Uh, my guy is Kobe White. I have a lot of shares of Kobe White, unfortunately. I wound up dropping him in, in one of my leagues and picked him up later on. He, he became fantasy relevant, obviously, when Zach Levine was out with COVID, uh, health and safety protocols. But he was preseason ranked number 69. He finished at 173 in season totals and season average, excuse me. And then he finished 112 in total. That is complete and utter trash. Shouldn't have invested a mid-round pick in that. I think he he really regressed over the course of the beginning of the season under Billy Donovan. Turned over the ball a lot. I think it was no surprise he shot a bad field goal percentage, but he just really wasn't 
as good of a player in that system as we thought he may have been. We'll talk about a couple of at least one other bull later that exceeded expectations. But yeah, Kobe White was not one of those guys. And my hot take for today is Luka Doncic. And why am I saying that he's a why am I saying that he's a dud? It's not that he didn't have a good season. I mean, because we just talked about DeAndre Ayton. He didn't have a bad season either. Like, so my thing is I had Doncic as number one overall fantasy fantasy player last year. So I wasn't wrong in it. I think Koffler also had him ranked as the number one fantasy player. And he finished the season in the 20s. And I think it's more so because of his his start to the season. Chris Porzingis, once he was out of the once he came back into the lineup, it seems like he kind of started to find his groove. He had a lot of the offensive usage. He had all the usage because there really wasn't many people to provide buckets around him. But he he really took a step back in terms of turnovers and free, and free throw percentage. And I think it really hurt his value over the course of the, the, the length of the season. That being said, his stats still speak for themselves. Luca is a beast. Uh, he fills the stat sheet in almost every category, especially at the end of the season. He was phenomenal with Porzingis when, once he left again. No surprise there. But at that draft capital where I had him as the ADP, he just did not, he did not hit the mark. You don't, you don't spend up for a top three pick and then get 20, 20 in, in around the twenties in value. So he's my dud, my main dud. Uh, I agree The the 4.3 turnovers per game are a ton, but if you're, if you're, if you're okay going into a season, knowing you're going to punt turnovers, uh, Luke is a guy I'm perfectly okay with. And also in points leagues, it's hard to go wrong with a guy who's putting up 28, nine and eight. Oh yeah. No, no denying that. Completely agree, man. Um, yeah. And Dan, to your point, I don't think it's really a hot take, man. I mean, he, he did, he take, took a step back in points, rebounds, uh, and assists this season. Uh, and again, the turnovers are exactly what they were last year, 4.3. So if you were not punting turnovers, uh, definitely that, that, uh, you know, brought you down. Um, my guy is somebody that Adam already mentioned. It's Anthony Davis. Uh, he was ranked number three in the preseason. Uh, he's number 132 in total production, 22 in average per game. Uh, so he was still not where you drafted him in per game, but he was a little bit better in that category. Um, but, uh, you know, when he was available, his points, 22.1, that's his lowest in seven years. Rebounds, eight, lowest of his career. Assists, 3.1, lowest in three years. And blocks, lowest of his career at 1.7. Uh, and this was, uh, he matched his uh, career low in field goal percentage. Free throw percentage was down. Uh, and three-point uh, three percentage was down for, uh, this was his lowest mark in, uh, you know, six seasons as well. Uh, so even when he was available, he wasn't giving you what you expected. So for me, he's he's easily the biggest dud, and he only played 35 games this year. He was the number one overall pick in in one of my leagues. So yeah. b- by that by that notion alone, he's he's got to be the biggest dud with the 22. You said what did you say? 22nd uh, in terms of fantasy points per game, or yeah, you know, head to head. Right. So, yeah. so this is what I was alluding to is like, but how much are you, how much stake are you putting in injury to someone being a dud? Like at least Luca played the entire season. Kobe White played most of the season. Your dude, John ja Morant, missed like what four weeks or so, something like that. He played a majority of the he's season. A dud, he's a dud too, man. I, I mean, he is. Yeah, he he definitely regressed hundred percent. I mean, there's guys. So so we got we got guys like John ja Morant, Ben Simmons. Uh, you know, guys that Luca, guys that you expect to take a step up every season and early in their career, and just didn't this season. And that's why we're calling them duds. Right. But AD, AD kind of got. He was just plagued through injury, though. I feel like, like he just wasn't available when he was on the court. He was straight. But let's go to the next award, guys. Let's go best value pick. We have some di- we have some differences here, but I'll start off with Zach. Who are you? Who was your best value pick of the season? Uh, and Koffler kind of turned me on to a guy that, uh, you know, as much as I hate agreeing with him, I had to. Uh, so I'm actually going to turn this one over to him. I think he deserves the credit for pointing this one out. Uh, and it really surprised me how high this player was ranked. So Koffler, take this one away, man. Oh, that was gross. Yeah. I, I hate Come doing on. it, man. But oh. I don't like doing it, especially <laughs> with Koffler. I hate you might as well just taking the thun- you might as well just taking the shot on that one just <laughs> your own. 
Oh, I don't want to hear him go through slow mo. Guys, hey, we to gotta it. do it. Sorry. But he was he was like fast mode this season, man. <laughs> the way the way that he improved from the 2019 uh, 20 season, he he uh, he doubled his points per game, uh, more than doubled his points per game. Went from 5.8 to 12.4, uh, rebounds from 4.3 to 5.8, and assists from 2.4 to 3.6. Uh, he also uh, crippled the amount of threes he makes per game. He was playing on a really busy Memphis Grizzlies squad, but he was. Uh, the poster child for consistency throughout the season. Uh, nobody talks about this guy. He was he was undrafted in probably most fantasy leagues. Uh, definitely not somebody that you're you know you're thinking about in terms of like most improved player. But uh, he actually ended up being ranked 31 in nine cat leagues. So you know Kyle Anderson, make sure you're looking at him next season when you head into your fantasy league. He's he's going to put up points and he's not going to turn the ball over uh, very much. Kyle Anderson, 7% drafted. Crazy value there. Wow. 7% to have 31. To finish at 31 is crazy. I'm going to go with Terry Rozier. This man was straight up disrespected by all analysts, myself included. Came in the preseason, ranked in the top, not even in the top 100, and this guy finished crazy high. Finished, uh, what do we got here? He finished 39 in season average and he finished third 18 in season total, which is crazy for being preseason ranked outside of the top 130. And he didn't really do that much. All he did was improve his efficiency. He turned over the ball less. He shot a better field goal percentage and he averaged more points and he even upped his three point percentage uh, a tad. So he was definitely aided by LaMelo balls absence for a, t- a portion of time. But I think he's also aided by the fact that Gordon Hayward was out for the season for a portion of the time. So either way, Terry Rozier, for if you're talking straight value, to make that jump from a season ranking of 140 to top 30, top 20 in some cases, that's the guy for me. And honorable mention, Julius Randle, obviously, because he was top 60 and he pulled into the top 20 as well. Dude was stellar. He could pretty much be every person on this on this, on this this uh, podcast at this point. Mm-hmm. Fun fact, uh-huh. Terry Rozier started his career as a as a upper 30s in terms of the field goal percentage, and he he uh, ended this season shooting 45% from the field uh, with a relatively high volume of shots at uh, 16 and a half shots per game. So he's he's really become a much better shooter, um, which which is certainly going to increase his fantasy value moving forward. And, you know, while the assist numbers aren't going to be, you know, up there with LaMelo Ball in town, I think he's solidified himself as a starter over Devontae Graham. And just to add to that, man, uh, I think that point is well taken. This was his first season averaging over 20 points per game, which to me is really remarkable considering you had the emergence of guys like LaMelo Ball, you had Miles Bridges. You really had a more complete Hornets team this year than we've seen in quite a while with just capable scorers and capable playmakers. And for him to average 20 points per game this season, I, I mean, that's just incredible, dude. It speaks to his efficiency and it speaks to his improvements as a scorer. So, yeah, well taken. Yeah, man, they're in the play. And let's see if they can uh, if they can beat the Pacers and then the uh, Wizards or the Celtics to get into the playoffs here. Yeah, I have two, but I'll, I'll hit on one. I'm just going to mention Darius Garland and Colin Sexton, the two Cleveland Cavaliers guards. You just talked about Terry Rogier and how he struggled shooting the ball if, you know, efficiently when he first came into the league. This is the knock on these two guys. They can tend to be low efficiency most games, I would say. But uh, just compared to where they were drafted, I mean, Darius Garland, he was the 185th ranked player heading into draft season, and he finished 93 despite missing 20 games. So, I mean, if you would have played a full complement of games, you're getting a great, great value right there. Uh, and then I'll just mention Colin Sexton. Doesn't do a ton outside of scoring, but he averaged 25 points a game this season. He was 85th consensus in Yahoo heading into the season he finished 46 so he was a top 50 fantasy asset when all is said and done and getting 25 points a game what is that in the eighth ninth round of your draft I mean I'll take that every day of the week and twice on Sunday sign me up 
Yeah, Sexton was one of my Sexton was one of my breakout players this year. So I'm glad to see that come to fruition. Dude's a baller and certainly has a lot of opportunity going forward with sex that sex land backcourt. Cleveland's sex definitely land. building around then. Everybody thought Garland was just gonna be a scorer and a guy who's turning the ball over a lot, but he increased his field goal percentage by five points to forty-five percent and became a point guard, basically. He went from 3.9 assists to 6.1 assists. That's that's a, the, the kind of leap that Julius Randle took. Mm-hmm. Talking about a guy now who's a who's a bona fide point guard <laughs> and who a guy who's probably more valuable than John Morant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, in all in all seri- in all seriousness. Turnovers are are can be high, but he did average 1.2 steals a game as well. So that that's pretty valuable. I tweeted a couple weeks ago, I give me Darius Garland next season and it's over John Morant. I don't want John Morant on my fantasy team until further notice no me either totally agree so speaking of the former rookie of the year let's take it to this year's rookie uh fantasy rookie of the year i'll start with adam because you see we're actually we're all we're all at odds here but let's start with adam who's your guy so if if tyrese halliburton didn't go down towards the end of the season uh i think it would almost be a consensus that he would be the rookie the fantasy rookie of this rookie of the year given his performance this season i mean the guy you know as a rookie you're not supposed to shoot 48% you know the assist to turnover ratio that he did and the efficiency that he did um in his first season in sacramento you know didn't didn't hurt you in any category i think he turned the ball over just like 1.2 times per game averaged over 5 assists per game and 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 scored in double figures um, it, you know, going into the season, I did, I did, uh, call that he was going to be the most impactful rookie. So I'll hang my hat on that. And I think for that reason, I'm kind of biased, uh, in terms of picking Halliburton over a guy like LaMelo ball, uh, you know, ball missed almost a month, but I mean, obviously it's, it's hard to make an argument against LaMelo ball, what he was able to do in Charlotte, but Tyrese Halliburton for me, uh, I'm going to call him the, the fantasy rookie of the season. It's interesting you said he was the most impactful because I believe the Sacramento Kings extended their non-playoff streak to almost an NBA record. So we're talking about impact. You got to go with LaMelo Ball, man. Like the Hornets weren't nothing. This guy comes in, lights up the scoreboard, gets his teammates involved while having one of the best uh, dunkers and assistmen. I mean, they have a, they have a squad now and I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to deny LaMelo ball. I definitely see the case for Tyrese Halliburton to do with stellar, super efficient. I call him the poor man's Malcolm Brogdon. Totally could see that upside going into future fantasy drafts, but honestly, I'm going to go with Anthony Edwards. And I know it's unpopular opinion because he shot a poor field goal percentage and he turned over the ball a lot, but if we're talking about people that delivered when you needed them most, it was Anthony Edwards. Over the course of the last 30 games in the last month, he was the 38th ranked player in head-to-head formats for totals. And mm-hmm. it's hard to believe, but he improved that field goal percentage. He shot 48% from the field, a modest 73% from free throw line, but the man was hitting threes. He was contributing uh, almost a three, a three to one, uh, three to two, two to one assist to turnover ratio. Not the best, but it's not, it's not hurting you. And he was contributing across the board on a team that ultimately was playing at a very high pace. And he was, you know, the beneficiary of it, despite having Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell alongside him. So I think this kid's going to be has a really bright future. Called out RJ Barrett. He ain't scared of nobody. This guy's <laughs> going to be a baller in the future, man. Sign Hold me up, up, man. How could, how, could you, how could you call Anthony Edwards your fantasy rookie of the season, man? The Minnesota Timberwolves were the worst team in the NBA. I mean, you're over here crapping on the Tyrese Halliburton Let's, take. Let's be honest. I mean, it's re- the answer is really Lamelo Ball. Like we all know, the answer is. LaMelo I don't know, Ball. man. He turned no. the, he turned the ball over three times a game. Tyrese no, Halliburton turned it over one point two. I think legitimately Anthony Edwards will win the award. Like he's going to win Rookie of the Year award. I think if Lamelo Ball did not miss the chunk of time he did, it would be Lamelo Ball. But this is a fantasy Rookie of the Year, so I'm talking in terms of fantasy. You have to give it to Anthony Edwards. But again, I'd be picking Lamelo Ball. If he did miss a chunk of time, I mean, no one did what LaMelo Ball did in cat leagues, 16 points, six rebounds, six assists, 1.6 steals, less than 30 minutes per game. He didn't even play a lot until what midway through the season. So if you know, it's he crazy. Not get hurt, he's the fantasy rookie of the year for sure. You know, it's crazy though. Jay Sean Tate's probably fourth on the list yeah. as an undrafted oh, yeah. guy. That's, oh, yeah. that's, ins- that's, ins- that's insane. Oh yeah. I got pumped Shout the other out. day. Yeah. I got pumped. I saw uh, NBA. It was like, 
NBA Central or something posted a tweet. They were like, here's our rookie ladder, rookie of the year ladder. And uh, Jay Sean Tate got up to like four or something. And it's it's so cool to start seeing him getting some some recognition. That's what's up. Well, yeah, shout, out, shout out to Jay Sean Tate, man. He's definitely the honorable mention for this award. Um, great call there. So to the biggest surprise this year, <gasps> start with Zach. No disagreement with your pick, man. Talk about him. God, I'm going to have to do this twice in one show. This really, this is going to make me ill oh, the rest God. of the day. I, I served you up two alley-oops. It's the uh, second uh, one. I'm not, you're not getting the rock anymore. I'm sitting your ass on the bench. This is ridiculous, but serve him up anyway. God I can damn hear, it. I can hear all four of my kids upstairs running around acting crazy, and I'm going to have to tell my wife, look, I'm going to be bed-bound the rest of the day because I'm, <laughs> I, I'm physically ill having to give Adam Koffler credit twice in one show. But I'm going to do it again. T.J. McConnell, dude. Coughler talked this guy up early on in the season, uh, you know, kept talking him up. This is my this is my pick right here, dude. He was ranked 281 in the preseason on Yahoo, which is – I mean, you, you, you didn't draft him. Even in deeper leagues, you weren't drafting him. He finished number 44 in total nine-cap production this season. Uh, he was number 25 over the last 30 days, so he did it for you during the regular season. And he really did it for you, you know, when it really counted over the last couple of weeks of the fantasy regular season and in the fantasy playoffs and championship. And that was because of a high assist uh, to, you know, high assists and high steals. Uh, and, and he did that mostly coming off the bench all season. I mean, I realized he got some extended run because of some injuries they had in the backcourt. Uh, but he just exceeded all expectations and he really came out of nowhere. So he's easily my biggest surprise this season. He tried to show everybody what he was capable of doing in 2016 with the Sixers. When he saw over 25 minutes a game that season, he did something similar and averaged 6.6 assists and uh, 1.7 steals per game, which is pretty similar to what he did this season with about 25 minutes per game. So give TJ McConnell minutes and he's going to produce. It's as simple as that. How crazy is it that he finished second in the league in steals at 1.9 per game off the bench? Crazy. insanity yeah so i don't have any disagreement with that man like i think that that's an obvious surprise and zach i'll give you some flowers man we didn't i know i was hating initially when you said kevin porter jr was the league winner but sure enough he, he ended up being just that i mean just to get that ride in the playoffs where he was getting all of the usage with christian wood out and not really having john wall in the picture it was him that was really shouldering the load and looking great i mean he had that 50 point explosion with like 11 assists like that that right there uh will win you weeks and so it can't be understated how well that kid played and how much he made use of that opportunity going from cleveland where he was out of the rotation never played to houston now he has a future likely going to be a starting a starting guard there for the for the long haul just want to give a quick honorable mention to time lord i held you held it down my man i know you thought some injuries late in the season, but you held it down for me for a good portion of the season on many teams. Love this guy's efficiency as well as his defensive metrics. I think he's going to be a good player for the Celtics, assuming that they don't get huge upgrades in their front court next season. Give me time, Lord, with all the minutes next season. And another player similar to TJ McConnell, who showed out four or five years ago, was Mason Plumley? Mason Plumley started for the Portland Trailblazers back in 2016 and put up similar numbers to what he did this season in Detroit as a starter, 11 points, eight rebounds, four assists. That, that pretty much matches what he did this season in Detroit as a starter. Obviously super frustrated down the stretch when the Pistons started to uh, rest him and uh, you know manage his injuries uh, like they were with uh, Jeremy Grant uh, down the stretch. That was definitely frustrating. Um, but if you got ahead of the curve and, and you know, dropped him for a guy like Isaiah Stewart, uh, Mason Plumley really probably was one of the biggest surprises this season um, from that standpoint. Did you guys know Thaddeus Young was a top 60 asset in head-to-head leagues this season? Because he, he, uh, he was getting minutes over your boy, Laurie Markkinen. You mean, well, I mean Thaddeus only... Johnson? Thaddeus Johnson. <laughs> That's funny. He Actually, he's like, like getting... he... He's like the original person that always goes left. Like, I know Julius yeah. Randle always goes left, but, like, Thaddeus Young has always done the same thing, and yet he's still successful. I don't get it. Force the man Th- right once. Thaddeus Johnson put up 12 points, six rebounds, four assists, one steal. He only played 24 minutes a game. So uh, I, I tried to go back and see what his ADP was. He was undrafted. There's literally no data regarding where he's 
he was drafted. I mean, he wasn't yeah, even really ranked. Otto Porter was the was the guy that was ahead of him, right? And I think he yeah. got drafted way more than than Thaddeus Young, and he obviously got shipped out to Orlando. But yeah, man, Thaddeus Young was huge value over the course of the season. Actually, sure. actually, him and Kyle Anderson kind of remind me. They're they're kind of like cut from a similar mold. Like nobody thinks about them, and they kind of, all they kind of do is produce in a variety of categories. So those guys are pretty similar, and and do, and do damage with like minutes and just the mid to upper twenties. Yeah, it's really the assist for Thaddeus that I was surprised about. Uh, I think we saw him almost get a couple. He was on triple double watch quite a few times this season. So, I mean, if you prorate his, if you prorate his numbers, he like I said, he only averaged twenty four minutes a game. Obviously, he's up there in age, but if you prorate his minutes to what thirty six, whatever, he's averaging eighteen points, nine rebounds, you know, eight assists. Like he's flirting with triple doubles, so he was great. Yeah. All right, and to close it out, we'll just give um give our last leap. Who was the most frustrating for me? It was Andre Drummond. Obviously, all the drama behind him and his buyout that never happened until it was too late. <laughs> Hated being an owner of that guy or a manager of that guy. And he also sucks in real life. I hate watching him play basketball. So, yeah, I'm just going to say Andre Drummond. I'll kick it off to you, uh, Alex. Who's your who's your guy? Uh, Lori Markkinen. Enough said. I don't even have to get into it. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Koffler, who you got? Got to be uh, Hassan Whiteside for me. This guy was drafted 52 overall in one of my leagues over guys like Miles Turner, Michael Porter Jr., and Jonas Valanciunas. Took a, you know, took a nosedive in terms of, you know, the the production he's putting up this season. Barely, barely sees the floor. You know, Rashawn Holmes really took over there at Sacramento. So Hassan Whiteside, complete and utter disappointment this season. Easily gets a case for the biggest dud as well. Hanchu, who do you have? Yeah, man, I'm going to talk about a guy that we've dumped on plenty of times this season. It, it's Marvin Bagley, dude. I mean, I don't know what to say. He he puts up big games. He puts up duds. He's unavailable. You know, he's really, we talked about this all year. He's a 14-7 and seven guy, no defense, not a great shooter for a big. Uh, he's played 56 total games over the last two seasons. At this point, man, you know what you're going to get, and he still finds a way to burn you. Uh, so he's a guy that I've avoided all year. I'm going to be avoiding next year. And, uh, man, especially over the last few weeks, I think Burns talked about it last week. He put up that huge game and then I think Burns, you played him and then he just stunk up the joint. So for me, it's Bagley. Yeah, he's trash. All right. Well, that will conclude our show for today. Check back in with us next week. We'll be doing more cool stuff over the course of the offseason. Obviously, we'll be talking about the playing tournament as we head into the playoffs. We're also dabbling some of the a review of some of the things that we wrote about earlier this season. Call each other out on and have some fun with some of our takes that didn't really come to uh, that didn't really meet the mark and, and some of the other ones that we've already highlighted that we found some success with and hope you guys found valuable throughout the course of the season. Just want to give a shout out to Underdog Podcast for hosting us. You guys are great. And we'll continue to bring you fire content throughout the offseason. So until then, we'll holler at you. Peace.